0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. I know know many of you thought this day would never come, but we've left the apostates beside. And now we're going to talk about how to live in this evil age, how we're going to live in this evil age. So turn to the book of Jude, please, and we're going to um, just remind you of where we have been and uh, where we are going. This is the next to the last message in the book of Jude, and so um, we have had a wonderful time. I think this is the tenth session that we have had in the book of Jude, and it has been a remarkable uh, trip through Jude. We had an introduction to Jude. We found out that Jude likes triplets, um, triads, um, grace, mercy, and love. And um, there are about 20, I think, 22 triads in this where he gives groups of threes. And it's very interesting to read that. And then we talked about three characteristics of genuine Christians. We talked about how uh, we should be excited about the gospel and why we should be excited about the gospel. Woe be to me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the gospel. I love the good news that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection that we have eternal life. And not only that we have eternal life, but we can know it and we can't lose it, which is really, really important. And then we talked about the faith once delivered. Some people say there are a group of doctrines that we call the fundamentals. And we cling to those fundamentals, the virgin birth, the vicarious atonement, the bodily resurrection, the inspiration of scripture. I am contending to you, as Jude did, that we do not have any one doctrine in the Bible that we want to give up to the devil. I know the world does not like to hear uh, premillennial uh, verse-by-verse exposition today. Many people are turning to flashy teachers who go through and talk to them about their uh, psychological adjustment and things like that. But I'm glad that uh, we have the whole Bible. And whether we're in the sacrificial system of the Israelites in the Old Testament or we're in the church age, in the heart of the uh, the message. It's always been by grace through faith in the work of God. And so salvation is something and the word of God. There's not just one doctrine or one set of doctrines. We defend the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then uh, we've been through, a, a, I would say, exhaustive and probably exhausting Uh, look at uh, the field guide to spotting false teachers. What to look for in false teachers. And uh, we've finished that. Today we're going to look at how to live in these evil days and then we're going to look at the back of the book. That'll be next time and hopefully we'll be finished with this wonderful little epistle of Jude. I'm thankful we've had the chance to go through it. So let's look at the scripture, turn in your Bible to the book of Jude, uh, verse number 20 through 23, Jude 20 through 23. You fall along silently as I read from the scripture, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now that really bears some explanation. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled with the flesh." So let's go back to the beloved. Remember, I told you when we first started that Jude wished love be multiplied to his readers because they are Christians and they are people of the book and they are people of love. And he begins his actual teaching in verse three when he said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our." common salvation. And I told you at the time that this is a key. Whenever you hear him use the word beloved, he's moving to a different subject. And so he was talking about, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but I had to tell you to earnestly contend for the faith. This was introduction to the first section that ran from chapter, uh, or uh, verse number 3b to verse number 16. And then we get the word beloved again. Jude marks his transition from the apostates back to the beloved in verse 17, but you, beloved, remember. And that's the first of his imperatives, remember. And he's going to give us several imperatives here. And then um, we come today to our scripture and as you look in verses 20 through 23, we have direct warnings and instructions for the beloved. So if you want to lay Jude out and understand where it is, verse 3 is the first division. That first division comes to a climax in verse 17, where he starts to move from his subject of the apostates to the agapoi, the the beloved. And then, finally, um, the last section of the uh, book that is going to have this beloved in it is verses 20 through 23, and we have a set of direct warnings. All right, with that in mind, there are uh, five imperatives or commands in the book of Jude. Whenever you find God says something, you ought to take note of it. Whenever God commands something, you need to write it down and make sure you're obeying. Um, but when he says it five times, I think you better be aware. Number one, behold, our Lord is coming back. And uh, the first imperative in the book of Jude here, aside from remembering, and that was in a different section, The first is that the Lord is coming back, so keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open, verse 14, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses the little uh, book of Enoch, and he takes out a portion that was inspired by God. And we know it's inspired by God because Jude put it in his section and so we can that much of the book of enoch you can stick with um the rest of it i would not and then um remember the prophecies of the word of god verse 17 and uh, beloved and i was just talking to somebody before the service there used to be a time when prophecy was a big thing in the church. Now, nobody wants to talk about it, and it's largely because of the uh, false hermeneutic that the Calvinist has come across, and now they don't believe any of the prophecies in the Old Testament that have not been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ are to be fulfilled literally. We believe, as, uh, as dispensationalists, we believe all the prophecies of the Word of God are worth studying, knowing, and learning, and so we should remember the prophecies of the Word of God. Then the Bible tells us, and this is going to be really interesting, and so stick with it, keep yourself in the love of God. You said, I thought we were secure in Christ. You are secure in Christ as if you were in heaven itself. But that doesn't mean you're in the position to receive everything that God has for you. So you need to learn to keep yourself in the sphere of God's love. And then we should have compassion. Um, sure, all these people have uh, either been doubting because of what... Um, these false teachers have taught or maybe they're teaching false doctrine. They've come up and they've heard some slick tongue preacher and they start to mimic what he says or maybe even they are false teachers themselves. We don't write anybody off. Eyewitness to everybody. Share the gospel with everybody because who knows, you may be the one person who will share the gospel with someone and they might actually come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, uh, save with fear. Um, The Bible talks to us about um, moving with fear to reach people for the Lord Jesus. And we'll see what that has To say, those are imperatives from the Word. And if I were you, I would mark those in your Bible because those are things God said you should be doing right now. Now, this is an all-hands-on-deck section of the Word of God because the counsel of God given here about living in an apostate world requires everybody working together to safely navigate these troubled waters. Who should be on deck? Well, first of all, the beloved of God. The believer is supposed to participate in his own sanctification, and he's supposed to uh, also be involved in service toward other people. And there are these things that are listed here. You should build yourself up in the most holy faith. You should pray in the Holy Ghost. You should um, be uh, keeping yourself in the love of God. You should be looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be having compassion on the doubter. You should be saving some who um, are uh, actually uh, in error in their in their teaching and their beliefs. And you should hate the garment that is stained with the flesh. And we'll talk about what that means at the end of the lesson. Not only should the beloved be on deck, that's God's people, but who else should be on deck? Well, God's trinity. The entire trinity of God is here. And if you'll notice here, here's, by the way, I'm a Bible teacher and I can't help but uh, show you places where the trinity shows up. We have God the Father Uh, Keep yourself in the Father's love, number one. Number two, we have the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the word mercy there, he's talking about the uh, premillennial, pre-tribulational return of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. And then um, for the church. And then he's going to come back in the revelation which is seven years later when his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and the earth will have a great earthquake and that rift that runs all the way up into Turkey and goes all the way down into the uh, Indian Ocean, that will open up and Israel will become a seaport and it literally will happen. And then finally, um, the Holy Spirit is mentioned And we're going to look at every word in the Bible about prayer. We're going to look at every, at least in the New Testament, every word on prayer today in our study. And that is through the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity and all of God's people need to be on deck to navigate these waters. So let's talk about building up your most holy faith. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's take a closer look here at verse number 20. Now, um, the Greek word "humase." is a nominative personal pronoun, second person plural, and it's it's for us country people, um, us Georgians, uh, rednecks that we are. It's you all. Uh, you, this is proof that Jude was, uh, like us, a southerner. He says, y'all. And uh, the conjunction there is translated, but... This is what we call an adversative conjunction, which is used to express a difference between the immediate clause, the clause we're reading, and the one preceding it. And we talked about the um, the fact that these false teachers are scoffers and they speak great swelling words having men's person for their admiration and all of that in contrast to that, beloved, Um, We are to live a different way. And the adjective uh, apagoi is uh, uh, beloved, and this describes you all and directly addresses them. So it is all you all, um, you all need to listen to what I have to say. And the sense is something like this in contrast to those destructive apostates, you the uh, beloved of God. All right, now having uh, dispensed with that, let's look at what he says we should be doing. First of all, the Bible says, building up ourselves on our most holy faith. Now, the the definite article is an attributive article and it goes with faith. So this is not just my faith toward God. This is the faith. This is the delivered group of doctrines that have been given to us in our Bible. What you are holding in your hand as God's word is the faith. And we are to love it, we are to learn it, we are to know it. And the Greek adjective um, there it means most holy. And not only is it an, a, an adjective, but it's a superlative, which means that it is superior to all others to the highest degree. So the most holy faith. This is the most important thing in the world. Do you know who is on the Dodgers roster? Do you know um, who plays football on the the Georgia front uh, as far as the football team goes? Do you know um, who won the the, uh, uh, World Series last year? Do you know what the biggest fish caught out of uh, Okmulgee is? All of those things are maybe nice to know, but those are not the most important thing. The most important thing is us for, for us to know the Word of God. And without us knowing the word of God, we're going to be like babes tossed to and fro, not knowing where we're going or not what, knowing what we've been taught. And the Greek word homon here is a personal pronoun which basically says this faith is your faith. It is your personal uh, faith as well. Um, the word piste, is the noun in the dative case, singular feminine, and it is the dative of reference, that is, in reference to your most holy faith which is the entire set of precious doctrines that are taught in the Word of God. By the way, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. All of these lessons are up on Sermon Audio. You can download the handout. You can listen to each of these messages. And if you'll fill in the blank, you'll have a complete commentary on the book of uh, Jude, verse by verse, with every word included. Now, the most interesting word here. Is a, uh, it is a compound word, and it's also in the imperative mood. It comes from two Greek words, epi, which is upon. We sang upon this rock. Well, you ought to build upon that rock. And odoikimo, which means to build a house. So literally here, it is to build upon. This is what, where we get the idea of edification. We build upon what the Word of God says. And finally, he altus is the reflexive pronoun which indicates joint participation, which means I have the privilege of helping God build in my life that complex, that, um, uh, that structure that will help me grow in him. It's not just God doing this in, in, um, in salvation. Everything is him. He does it all. But in sanctification... It requires my participation. I cannot grow unless I participate with him. This is why some people get saved and never show any growth at all in their life because they're not in a place where they're willing to participate with God in building themselves up in the most holy faith. Now, um, putting this all together in contrast with the destructive tendencies of the false teachers who want to tear down the truth, the beloved are commanded to be building up themselves continually on the most holy faith. Now, I hear what you're saying, preacher, You preachers are just like this. You tell us what we should do, but you never tell us how to do it. Well, I'm going to tell you how to do it today. In fact, Jude is going to give you the answer to how to grow in the Lord using three personal imperative present um, participle clauses. First of all, um, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, those three clauses are, number one, praying in the Holy Spirit. Number two, keep yourself in the love of God. And number three, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, those are the three things that Jude tells us we need to participate in order for God to build us up in our most holy faith. So let's let's look at these. And here's something I want you to remember at the outset. Remember we talked about the God's golden chain out of um, Romans chapter 8. You've got, you were foreknown, you were predestinated. You notice all of these are in the past tense. You are foreknown, you are predestinated, you are called, you are justified, you are glorified. Now, all of those are in the past tense, which means that what God is saying here is, these things are as good as done. They're all as good as done but I will have you notice a couple of things. Each item is in the past tense, which God used to describe them. All are guaranteed in the plan and purpose of God. So can I say this to you today? God's foreknowledge, God's predestination, God's calling of you, God's justifying of you, and God's glorification of you All of those things were uh, pre-set up. Warner Robins is a logistic base. It it designs itself to uh, supply the Air Force with what they need. And you know those generals, they've got plans for everything. They know exactly what they're doing in every circumstance. And God has got a plan through which He brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's justified you. And even as far as He's concerned, you're already glorified. But do you notice one that's missing here? Um, I'll tell you what's missing. It's sanctification. Spiritual growth is provided for in the plan of God, but it is not promised. And it's not promised because we have to participate. Let me tell you a story. I was saved on August the 1st, 1971. The very same day, my best friend in the whole world was named Ronnie Patrick. He was saved by the grace of God the same day. Now, about a year down the road, Ronnie left our church. He went to one of these churches where it was Holy Roland and throwing hymn books, and somebody hold my baby while you shout. I mean, that was that kind of church. And um, Ronnie uh, became stunted in his growth. I, however, was in a good Bible-believing, verse-by-verse, expository church where um, they emphasized the blood, the book, and the blessed hope. And uh they taught me the word of God and all that. And I remember one day he called me probably three years after we were saved, and he said, Brother Kevin, I found out something marvelous. So, what's that, Ronnie? He said, Jesus was born of a virgin. And I I just had to laugh. I said, Ronnie, I said, I knew that. Um Two, two weeks after I was saved, pastor got me in a Bible study class and he taught me that. And, I, and he said, well, I that's the first I've ever heard of it. And by the way, do you know that heaven's a real place? And I said, well, yes, I knew that because I had a pastor who taught me that kind of thing. Um, when Ronnie Patrick died, and I think he died in his 30s, he was very stunted spiritually. He never grew. Why? Because... All of his was emotion. All of his was based on how I felt and everything like that, as Andy Wood says, the liver quiver. But I want to say this to you today. I sucked those things in. I learned those things. They became a part of me. And because of that, Ronnie went up and down, up and down, up and down, until when he died, um, he wasn't even sure he was saved. But I tell you this, the Lord has been so good to me, giving me that. And it's because God's Holy Spirit was working with me and I was willing to participate. Ronnie never was. So I want to look at Jude's uh, manual for spiritual growth. How to build yourself up in the most holy faith. And we're going to start off with the hardest part of most people's Christian life. Um, I'm not going to ask you, If anybody here struggles with prayer, but I guarantee you if I did, almost every hand in this place, I have been praying, and boy, what a good sleep I've gone off to. Um, I have been praying... And uh, find myself, woke up, and the Bible wasn't my old tear-stained book. It was the old slobber book because I I'd fallen asleep and slobbered all over my Bible. Um, I have trouble staying awake in prayer. And I've struggled more in my life with prayer than almost any area of my Christian life. And I want to tell you what praying in the Holy Ghost means by telling you what it doesn't mean. First of all, it does not mean you pray in tongues. Now, I know Hebrew, Greek, enough Aramaic to truly make myself dangerous. I know some English, and I'm fluent in West Virginia. I also had uh, uh, four years of Latin, and so I know pretty much Latin. Everybody I could talk to is pretty much dead, except God. But I never tried to pray in a tongue that was not mine. And my friends, there is no such thing in the Bible as an unknown tongue. Now, you may say, wait a minute, I've seen in my Bible it says unknown. If you see that word unknown, it's always in italics. Why? Because the translators were trying to be really nice for us and supply something. But the word tongues in the Bible is "glossia," and it means known languages. So if I was going to say I'm going to pray in tongues here, I'd say, Anybody here speak Latin? I do, so I can... Adolemos te Christi et benedicium osquea per sanctum croce tuam mundum qui pro nobis domine domine nobis. But you didn't get a thing out of that, did you? Except um, man, that guy talking all over the place. Praying in tongues is not a thing. It's not in the Bible. There's no such thing. Well, didn't Paul say if I I I prayed with a heavenly language, I pray, speak with the tongues of men and angels? Paul's being sarcastic in that passage. He's telling a group of ladies in Corinth, stop it. You're, you're saying you have a, a gift. And he goes on later in the next chapter, in chapter 14, and says, women are to keep silent in the churches. You know, if you look at the context, which is a dangerous thing to do, uh, but if you look at the context, the context is speaking in tongues. If you take the women out of the tongues movement, you wouldn't have a tongues movement. It's not praying in tongues. Secondly, it's not praying in with gusto. I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm just, I felt so good while I was praying. Um, most of you know I have a degenerate condition of my spine, of many of the joints in my body. And uh, I can't walk anymore. It's very painful. And um, I'm going to tell you, I have not prayed with gusto in years. Because it's hard when you're groaning to pray with gusto. That's not what it means. The Holy Spirit isn't a cosmic cheerleader. And then there are other people who say, Well, I'm just going to let the Lord take control. And I'll just pray and whatever comes into my mind, that's gonna come out my mouth. That's a dangerous thing to do. The Bible says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, we're never to let ourselves just go and let somebody else control us unless it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't let us make us do things like fall on the ground and writhe and all of that. So what does praying in the Holy Spirit mean? Well, let's get some grammar behind this. The Greek word in means in, which is a good thing. And it is a preposition of instrumentality. The instrument through which prayer is accomplished is the putnumata. It is the Spirit. And and as you'll notice, that's got a capital uh, P there, Pi, and it is a noun in the dative singular neuter in gender, and it is the object of the preposition in, and along with that is hogi, which is the adjective dative and the neuter predicate, and it simply means the third person of the Trinity. All real prayer is in and through the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that when you pray, your prayers are so weak and, and unable to attract the attention of God. But isn't it great to know that the Holy Spirit makes intercession with us that groan, with groanings that cannot be uttered? He takes our prayers and makes them perfect. I want you to notice Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Oh, this is my favorite passage on the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that I cannot utter. For now he who searches the minds knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the word of God. My my little prayer says, Lord, bless Brother Dale over there in the Gambia. And the Holy Spirit takes it and knows everything Brother Dale needs. And he goes to the Father and says, this is what Dale needs right now. And Brother Kevin's praying for him right now. And and this is what he needs. And God will answer that prayer because it is through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Well, um, the little Greek word, the little Greek word um, prosukami, um, comes, it would literally means come before. A, it is in the present tense, which means we should always be praying. There's never a time that is inappropriate to pray. You say, now, wait a minute, I've driven up I-75 enough to know you better be, have your hands on the wheel. Brother, you better be praying too. Um, that's, that's where you need to be praying. I'm always praying. You know, I just tell you this, and you're going to think I'm so unspiritual, but I'm going to tell you I've lost uh, a particular time. I don't have a particular prayer time. You say, Brother Kevin, you're, you're wicked. We're going to throw you out of the church. Just, just hear me out. I'm always praying. If you come to me and say, Pastor Kevin, I have this urgent need on my heart. If I'm where I can do it, I'll say, put my arm around you and say, let's pray right now. And if I'm not where I can do that, I just drop my head, close my eyes and pray to the Lord right then and there. You see, I believe that our whole day ought to be a life of prayer. And everything we do, you, you pull into uh, the fast food place. Yes say, Lord, thank you for the food that you're uh, providing and help this these uh, teenagers who are making minimum wage here don't do something to my food so they don't kill me. Um, I, I think we should pray constantly and never be out of earshot with God. I pray always before the Lord. And then um, it is also plural, which means that we should do it as a body. We as a church are a praying church. I have to say, you think about how many answers to prayer we've seen in this church. Brother Dennis, sitting on the front row here, had multiple myeloma uh, 10 years, and they found a lesion on his brain, and we prayed, and it went away. God was moving. We have seen family after family come to this church because we have prayed and God has brought them here. Now maybe we've not been praying hard enough for some of them that are sick today. Because without all of those kids and and all of that, it doesn't seem like the same church. But I'm telling you, we ought as a body to be continually in prayer. And then uh, it's a nominative participle with an imperative force. This is not a suggestion. He says we should always be doing that. This is how we ought to pray. And the compound word to pray is the most frequently used word for prayer to God in the Bible. And it is the most frequent word in the Bible for prayer. Now, I just want to call attention to a couple of things here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this, and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice what he said here. Praying always with all prayer. You say, that's one of those things that Paul writes that I just don't understand. Well, this word all means all types. All types of prayer are included in prosugamite. And there are many types of prayer in the Bible. We could spend a whole series on this. Let me just mention a sample of these. First of all, uh, the little word eritao. Eritao is an inferior asking a request of a superior. Uh, if you're a little buck private, you see a general over there, you walk up to him and, sir, sir, could I ask you something? You do that with respect, don't you? And then there's deal my... That is a deep desire. Have you ever had a deep desire you pray for? Um, This is Father's Day and I have to tell you that I had a deep desire. My wife and I were married uh, and I'm not going to tell you how many years, but we were married a long time before God sent us our daughter. And I, I don't need to tell you how much we prayed for a child. Now, I have the same prayer request for my daughter now that she is away from us. She's 23 years old, and I pray for her constantly. My deep desire is for God to work in her heart. And then um, uh, the word yuki is a formal prayer. This is a prayer that is a vow to God. You should not do this very often unless you're absolutely sure that this is what you're going when when God called me to preach in 1974 I I made that vow to the Lord I did my UK uh, to him I prayed and said Lord wherever I go whatever I do I'm your man and there's thesis. That is a need that is prayed for. This is something that, that is not only felt, but you come to God and you pray for this. This is supplication. Uh, when you come praying for somebody and uh, or yourself or somebody else and it's a deep need. And then um, in, in Tuchus, which is most often... Use translated as intercession. It stresses the petitioner's lowly position. I'm not not worthy, but would you be pleased to use these hands? You see, I love what Brother Dale often says. Um, He says, God doesn't need me, but I want him to want to use me. And that's true. Um, Let's look at a few more words. There's eukamai. Eucumai is prayer or expressing of a deeply felt wish, and then my one of my favorite words is uh, Eucharisto, which is I give thanks, the prayer of thanksgiving. Now think about this for a minute. This is, by the way, a testimony to the Greek language. The Holy Spirit knows we need all of these types of prayer and all of their shades of meaning and uses them skillfully like an artist with a brush. This is how God paints our prayer life when we spend time with him and shares our needs, our desires, our wishes and give thanks to God for all we can. So prayer doesn't have to be a drudgery, it can be a joy, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then um, let's move on to keeping yourself in the love of God. This is all we're going to have time for today, but we'll get this far, um, and uh, we'll pick up the rest next week. Sorry to string it out another uh, Sunday, but this is too good to rush through. Um, Some people feel like Yosemite Sam here as far as the Christian life. Oh, I've got to go to church. I'm gonna beat some rocks. And I've gotta go and serve on that committee and gonna beat some rocks. And I, I've gotta I've gotta do this and I've gotta do that. And it's like beating rocks to get people. What keeping ourselves in the love of God does not mean. First of all, it does not mean that you have to do these things to get God to love you. My friends. When we read about the love of God, this agape love, it is always in the aorist tense or in the perfect tense. By the aorist tense, it means something that happened in the past. It's a settled fact. By the perfect tense, it's something that happened in the past that has continuing results. Well, my friend, when Christ died on the cross, he paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. Every one of my sins. Because when, when Christ died, none of my sins had been committed. So when he died, he died for all of my future sins. He shed his precious blood for every one of my sin. And it is an undeserved love. God loved me. Christ loved me. So let me ask you this question. How do you think you can undeserve something you never deserved in the first place? I mean, think about that for a minute. The love of God—I well, don't have to do anything to to get God to to love me. He loved me, and the proof is the cross of Christ. Now, some of you say, "Well, I got you there, brother Kevin. These aren't things that you need to do to ke- to get God to love you. These are the things you need to do to have God keep loving you." Well, I've got news for you, my friends. Um, these are not things that you have to do to keep saved. Let's look at Romans chapter three, uh, chapter 8 and verses uh, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't have to do anything to, to keep God loving you. Why well, don't I have to come and I have to give God money and I have to come to church every Sunday and I have to do this? That's what you should do because you love God. But my friends, if it's a grudge, if it's like Yosemite Sam here, stop beating your rocks. Stop, stop uh, living your Christian life that way. God doesn't make any demands of you. He wants you to love him and, and in who he was and what he has done for you. Now, keep yourself in the love of God, the Bible says. What does this mean? Let's look at it in the grammar. Um, Take a closer look at the words. The Greek reflexive pronoun indicates, by the way, joint participation. Um, I think about reflex, moving your arm back and forth. That makes my joints hurt. Uh, So it's joint participation with the subject. God wants us to participate with him in keeping us in the center of God's love. It's translated yourselves. And the preposition of relation is in. and emphasizes that it's a personal relationship between you and God. Now, the word love here is agape, and it is in the dative tense, and it's singular, and it's feminine gen- gender. And the object of the preposition, the Greek word theo is translated God, and it's descriptive of love. What love? God's love, and is singular with the masculine gender. The subject and um, and verb here are found in this little Greek word treo, which is a aorist active imperative second person meaning to keep or maintain. Let me explain that for just a minute. Putting it all together, this verse literally reads: "You understood." are to maintain yourself in the sphere of God's love. The word maintain or keep is a military term for holding ground that's already been won or keeping a prisoner who's already been captured. We do not initiate our position in God's love. That was won once and for all by Christ's victory on the cross. But we are required to participate in our sanctification. Remember, that's the one thing that's not uh, absolutely guaranteed. Some people never grow or never go on to serve the Lord Christ. They are heaven-bound through grace, through faith in Christ alone. They're endued with the Holy Spirit. But if they are to grow in the spiritual life, they are to participate. Now, how do I participate in the love of God? Well, I've got my chart. We got to start off with a firm foundation, a solid foundation. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 tells us no other foundation can be laid that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How does that come? It comes by hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and the moment you believe, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to uh, turn over a new leaf, you don't have to tell your husband he's got to change his clothes and become a different man or anything like that. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you realize that Christ is more earnest about you having that relationship than you? Remember uh, that Pilate, or I'm sorry that, that Paul, is uh, in uh, the Philippian jail, and the jailer said to uh, him, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. First pillar. Once we are saved by the grace of God, we must be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And you can look at these verses, I don't have time to go over them today, but take these home, Uh, Acts 20 and verse 32, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 through 15, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 and Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 12 through 14. Uh, As we are rooted and grounded in the word of God, we're not simply based on our relationship to Christ, but now we begin to have a relationship with God. And we become rooted and grounded. We pray his his words back to him. And then the next thing, and this is where a lot of Christians never go. On top of that, we must learn to faith rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we mix the sure promises of God's word with our faith. Read about this in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, there are people who can tell you verse after verse after verse, but are you living those verses? Are you learning those verses? Are those verses part of your Christian life? And then we are told, finally, that we should add to our faith that has already been mixed with the sure promises of God. We should add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, Second Peter chapter 1. And verses 5 through 7. And that's how to live the Christian life. Have a solid foundation. Being rooted and grounded in the word. Learning to faith rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then adding to our faith. The Christian virtues. And so. I'm going to stop here today. Because I think if I go any faster. Or go any further. um, I'm going to talk about looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. But. But friends, that's such a wonderful subject, and the Lord is coming back very soon. So I'm not going to rush that. That's that's too important to rush through. So you save your um, Bible sheets until next week, and we'll pick up at this very place next week. Um, And let's now bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to work in our hearts. Precious Spirit of the living God, gracious, sovereign Father, and precious Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your matchless, marvelous gifts that you have given to us in the Word of God. I pray, Father, that we would never, never take these things for granted. In keeping ourselves in the most holy faith, we must have that relationship with Christ. We must be rooted and grounded. We must begin to mix that faith with um, the uh, trust and reliance on God for everything. And then, Father, we must also come to the place we're willing to add those things to our life that will make us attractive witnesses for Christ. I pray, Father, in the light of his soon return, and he is coming back soon, that you would um, bless and guide this word. Then may it speak to any heart who is listening now. Thank you, Father, for your truth. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and ask these things. Amen.